leadership is a resource for the group to help the group be high performing. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast brought to you by Ubiquity Coaching at ubiquity.coach. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepofsky, and I want to say thank you for choosing to tune into the show today. As you know, we search the globe for examples of excellent leadership so that we can showcase their best practices right here on this show to help you become a more inspiring leader. And we've done just that for you today. Our guest has spent his entire career researching, applying, and consulting on the links between personality, leadership, and performance. His work's been highlighted in the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Fortune, and the list goes on and on with international publications. He's a frequent speaker on personality in the workplace and has provided executive coaching for numerous CEOs and executives. And with his colleagues at Hogan, he provides personality-based leadership, selection, and development to organizations across the globe. It's my sincere pleasure to welcome to the show the CEO of Hogan Assessment Systems, Mr. Scott Gregory. Scott, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you, Terry. It's an honor to be with you. I want to learn a little bit more about what drives you. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to throw a question your way. Of course. Who or what inspires you, Scott? Well, in general, any leader who can balance an incredibly strong drive and results orientation with a genuine compassion, caring for others, I find really inspirational. Someone who puts the company's interests ahead of their own, and it's really often hard to find examples of that, partially because they're often not the flashy, heroic, charismatic leaders who make the magazine covers and the newspaper articles. Personally, if I can just mention three quick examples of that. Of course, yeah. I've been really fortunate in my career. One of those is a gentleman named Harry Brule, who I worked with at a company that fortunately no longer exists called PDI, which was headquartered in Minneapolis. Harry was one of my early bosses and remains a close friend. He embodied that balance. He was unbelievably hardworking, really dedicated to the company, but he also offered lots of opportunities for me. He took lots of risks on me and combined that with lots of support. It was a really nice balance. The other two are Bob and Joyce Hogan, who founded Hogan Assessment Systems. They provided really strong examples of that. Joyce has passed now, but Bob continues to be the icon for me for someone who is very successful, very competitive, but who has taken chances on lots of people, including me, throughout his career, and provided the support to make sure that the individual and the organization won. And I think all three of these offered an incentive to stretch my abilities, to encourage me to jump headfirst into new opportunities. But they also provided that support to ensure that I was successful and ensure that the company was successful as a result. I find those three people very inspiring because of that balance. I think that it's really encouraging to hear you say that this has helped you on your journey. 
I think sometimes when we take a look at CEOs of global corporations like Hogan, what we tend to see is somebody that's there. They're at the point. They're at the pinnacle of their career. But to hear you humbly say to us that this is helping you on your journey, your continual process of improvement and development, I think that that really sheds a realistic light on the place that most people are at. And I also really loved what you said about that balance. The balance between driving for results and compassion and care, I've often abbreviated this as calling it the balance between care and candor. I tend to get a lot of calls from organizations saying, we've got somebody that's a little bit too much on the candor side. They're pushing for results. Right. Their team is starting to get scared of them, or they won't speak up, or we're not seeing the performance come out of them because they're not meshed with that leader, their lack of trust. On the other side of the equation, Oftentimes, they're calling saying, we've got somebody that's really protecting their team and really caring about their team and siding with their team, but they're not pushing them to what their potential really could be. Right. This is something that I really loved about what Hogan does. Is this what drew you to get involved in Hogan? How long have you been involved with Hogan? Well, it's too long of a story for this podcast, but I was actually one of the first employees. I think I was employee number three or four. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. I like to say that at the time, we had two Hogans, two dogs, and two grad students. Right. And they were in that hierarchical order in our office. But I was one of the grad students. I was very fortunate to have Bob and Joyce as my major professor when I was doing my PhD work. They really set a great example. After I finished my PhD, I left and was away for a number of years. And Bob Hogan, who had remained my mentor throughout my career, and I were speaking one night. He said, well, why don't you come home? So I did. Let's take our focus now and turn it towards this topic for today, decoding leadership. Let me start off by acknowledging that I'm a huge fan of Hogan assessments and what you're doing. And I think that that says a lot. Well, thank you. Because... Anybody that knows me knows that I'm a pretty fierce critic of a lot of other assessments. <laughs> and it's because I've spent an earlier chapter in my own career working as a psychometrist. So I spent a lot of time facilitating assessments like the Myers-Briggs and the Waysar and many other personality assessments, intelligence assessments, etc. And I did become critical of the way that they try to fit people into little boxes, categories, conceptual boxes. And I didn't think that that did justice to the dynamic nature of humans and how complex of beings we really are. And of course, when organizations start making key decisions about their people based on those assessments, and the people making those decisions are not qualified with the assessments, then there's some danger there. But when I came across what Hogan was doing, and I saw the way that you've constructed the assessments, the way the reports come out. I was incredibly impressed. Thank you. First off, Hogan's got industry-leading reliability and validity stats. You're way above where others are at. As a matter of fact, it's so far above the grade that you're probably redefining where the bar should be for reliability and validity. If you're okay with it, let's start with this. What is it that's going on with Hogan, and how are you integrating your leadership perspectives and your own experience into what's happening with Hogan? Thank you for the kind words. We've been very fortunate in part because one fundamental underlying tenet of Hogan is that we are science-based. Yes. 
we always start with the research. We also have a phrase we use, we call Kaizen psychometrics, that is always improve, always improving on those things and using science to do that. We work very hard to try to make those improvements. We also are in an era where technology actually overshadows the science behind the assessment itself. We're not, of course, blind to the need for improving technology, but we're trying to improve both at the same time. One of the really exciting things going on with us right now, we're in the midst of a major upgrade in our technology and a major upgrade in first selection assessments we have and later the development. Oh, that's great to hear. Some very exciting things happening. You're based in Minneapolis. Yes. Hogan's headquarters is in Tulsa. Yes. Before we hit record on this show, you shared that with me and you were saying that Hogan is also one of these organizations that allows people to work from home. A lot of people are traveling. Right. There are some aspects of this that rubbed off from your leadership style. Anything that you can share with us about that? It's been a journey, <laughs> is what I would say. <laughs> we have a number of consulting teams some of whom focus on North America, some of whom focus on our distributor network, which is across the world. But in North America, for example, half of the team is remotely located. It's become fairly commonplace for us to be scattered around. And of course, we make very concerted effort to bring everybody together from time to time. But over the past five years, as our number of remote workers has grown, We've really made concerted efforts to increase the level of communication and to be sensitive to the fact that not everyone's going to be in the room. It really took a period of adjustment. Bob Hogan lives in Florida. Our former CEO was in New York. A lot of our consultants are scattered around. We've gotten much better about recognizing that it takes a different kind of communication and it takes more effort, but it works well and it allows people the flexibility to live where they need to live, which sometimes is driven by needs to be close to family. There are benefits from a business perspective too, because we have people scattered around where our clients are. I imagine that it does present own unique challenges. You said really working on increasing that communication. I imagine too, that there's a lot of need for strong emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-regulation social awareness and that social management piece as well. What I've seen from all of my interactions with Hogan is that you don't just hire anybody off the street. You bring in the best of the best into your organization, and you're representing that whole aspect of decoding leadership yourself. I imagine that the expectation is there internally for all of your staff. Is that ringing true? Yes, it's really true. We eat our own cooking, so to speak, in terms of our selection practices and so forth. We're really fortunate. We have a, a terrific team, many of whom are psychologists who tend to be tuned into that emotional intelligence aspect anyway. So there's some natural built-in benefits to that. People are enormously helpful to their peers. It is a really caring environment that we have, which is uh, really terrific. And I think when new people come in, particularly if they come in from having worked in large corporations, one of the things that often stuns them most about Hogan is how genuinely helpful people are. I can vouch for that. You've got a great, great team working for you, for sure. Thank you. Now, let me zero in on this decoding leadership a little bit more. Yeah. You and I were chatting earlier. You were describing a situation where somebody had 
asked a group of organizational leaders, how does your organization define leadership? And very few of them could actually answer that question. Right. And it's a great question. You know, I'm thinking of using that one myself, but (laughs) what is it that you found when it comes to decoding leadership? There are so many ideas about what creates great leadership. As we've already highlighted here, Hogan is very much a research-based organization. You guys understand leadership better than almost any other organization out there. What is it that you can tell us about decoding it? Well, we certainly are passionate about it and spend a lot of time researching it. One of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit is just that issue of defining leadership. It is shocking that most corporations we work with, I'm sure the same is true for you and many of your listeners, if they're in consulting, focus on succession planning, identifying future leaders, et cetera. When you ask them, how do you define leadership? There rarely is an answer. We've done a lot of looking into that issue. And I guess I would start by saying, when I was a kid growing up, John Wayne was a huge movie star. In many ways, his characters shaped America's definition of what leadership is. I really think this is true. He's someone who had all the answers. He was the toughest guy in the room. He was the one who was always ahead of others. He used force when he had to to get his way. This sort of mythical kind of leadership that embodied this rugged individualist who just made things happen by sheer force. I think in many ways, that mythical, larger-than-life, charismatic leadership character still defines a lot of what you read and hear about with regard to leadership. We love a hero in this country. One of these, as we've looked at this issue of definition, one of these common definitions, in essence, is a leader is someone who's in a position of power. Yeah. An example of this, if you look on Amazon, Amazon Books, you'll find about 60,000 books on leadership. Yeah. On that side alone. It's filled up pretty well. So lots of people have lots to say. You'll find lots of books written by or about current CEOs or former CEOs. And when you think about the assumption behind that, the assumption is, I've been in this position. I've had some personal success. By the way, that often doesn't translate into organizational success, but that's another tangent. (laughs) That's another, yeah, tangent, yeah. (laughs) But I've had some personal success. Therefore, I know what leadership is, and I'm qualified to tell you about it. That may or may not be true. That's just one thing. And we could all name high-profile CEOs who once were lauded for their leadership ability, whose books were heralded, only later to have them vilified as the result of some damage they did that they inflicted on their organization and or their shareholders. If you look at the popular press, magazine articles about leadership, books about leadership, and even a lot of the academic research on leadership, the assumption is a leader is someone who's in a position of power. That means leadership is all about the title, which we don't think is true. If you think about it a different way, and this is really the starting place for how we have always thought about personality and assessing personality, if you look at it through the lens of why did leadership evolve in the first place? Why do we need leaders at all? It's really about someone who creates and sustains a high-performing team, a winning team. To really understand leadership from this perspective, you have to think about the nature of human groups. About four key points about 
at. One is humans have always lived in groups. Humans always will live in groups. So that is fundamentally encoded into our DNA to live in groups. If you think about from an evolutionary perspective, survival, a couple of core reasons for that. One is there's safety in numbers, right? Yeah. And there are three commonalities. One of those is there's always competition within the group to see who's going to get ahead, who's going to get to the position of power. There is also a need for cohesion within the group or collaboration within the group, because that's the glue that enables the group to band together and counter external threats. And then third, there's always a, some system of making meaning, some way to highlight what our shared purpose is within the group. Yeah. We think a leader's role, so back to decoding leadership, what's leadership about? A leader's role is to tend to these three things. That is to provide a vision that is larger than any individual, this common purpose that binds us, binds our efforts together. Secondly, to knit the group together so they cooperate and can compete against external threats, external dangers, and to provide a system that minimizes internal competition within the group, but maximizes external competition. So if you think about decoding, what is leadership all about? We think it's about these three things, vision, collaboration, cohesion, and maximizing external competition while minimizing internal competition. So if you think about leadership in that way, leadership is a resource for the group to help the group be high performing. And I love the title of your podcast. So I think about inspiring leadership in this way, it sort of turns inspiring leadership on its head. It's not about being a cheerleader. It's not about rah-rah. It really is about having a leader who is so fully engaged in the work of the team, who's working with them to solve problems, working with them to overcome obstacles, that the team gets better because of the leader's involvement. Wow. The way that you define it, it sounds like you're cutting through so much ambiguity and so much confusion. And when I ask people this question, we've had so many different answers. It seems like you've just cut through all of that and gone right to the heart, right to the essence. Creating vision, knitting that group together, and then providing that system that maximizes the external competition and minimizes the internal competition or creates more cohesion with them. Those three things, much more than charisma. It's so effective. And it used to be that the John Waynes and the charismatic leaders out there are not necessarily the ones. They could still have these three core abilities, but not necessarily. It's not just that they are somebody who gets noticed first in a room, Yeah, that they have the ability to create a really intelligent vision of where the organization could go or what the future looks like. Yeah. Knitting that group together takes an incredible ability to finesse in communication and interpersonal dynamics to deal with conflict, to deal with abrasive people, and seeing how that group could go together and encouraging those kinds of connections. Man, you cut through all of that just to get to the essence of it. Well, I have to say, I stand on the shoulders of giants. You're a humble man. <laughs> this is a lifetime of work from Bob Hogan. 
What advice is it that you might be able to offer to leaders out there in the world today to help them become even better? Is there anything that you can think of that would just be, by the way, here's something that'll help? A few things come to mind. One is don't spend time thinking about your power, your stature, and what's in it for you. Spend your time thinking about how to help your team, your department, your organization be successful and what you need to do to help them be that. And the great byproduct of focusing in that way is people will see it immediately and their trust in you will grow immensely. That's kind of the first thing. You know, the second is don't assume just because you've been around for a long time, you have a great education, tremendous experiences, or a blue chip resume. Don't assume you are entitled to a leadership position. Oh, I like both of those. Focus every day on trying to earn that position, even when you're in it. Yeah. I think it's a great mindset. I think it is. And I think it's so logical that it seems odd that some folks are not figuring that out on their own. Maybe the logic comes through hindsight. When you hear somebody like you say it, of course, it makes so much sense. But when you're in the job and there's internal competition going on and things aren't going your way. You feel like you deserve that new project that's got all that promise and it goes to somebody else. I think it's pretty easy to lose your way with that. Yeah. What comes to mind is some comments that Dave Stahoviak, a PhD in leadership and runs the Coaching for Leaders podcast out of California. He was talking about this as well. And he said, every organization's got problems. And the senior leadership team and the senior executive team, they are just dying for somebody to come forward and say, I'm going to take this part on, or I would love permission to tackle that issue over there. Yeah. His advice to people was, go fix something. <laughs> go find a problem. It's wonderful. That's how you're going to get noticed. And that's helping the entire organization rather than focusing on yourself. It's wonderful advice, and it is incredibly true. I got to tell you, Scott, every time I do these shows, this is my PhD in leadership. This is where I learn. And you're my professor. <laughs> I'm learning for you. I'm not kidding. I've got pages of notes from everything that you've said. I've got one more question for you. What does inspired leadership mean to Scott Gregory? Ah, uh, well, um, I guess I would say four things. First, it's not about cheerleading. Yeah. Inspired leaders know they don't have all the answers. Hmm and are willing to learn from other people. I think that inspires other people to show you what they can do to step up and take on those, go fix something, as you said. Exactly, yeah. I think that's one thing that I use to describe. So A, it's not cheerleading. B, they know they don't have all the answers, and they're willing to let others come in and answer. They're willing to empower and enable others to fix something. Yeah. See, I think they also focus intently on keeping the right problems in front of others. And sort of behind the screen on that one is they are involved shoulder to shoulder every day with the team. They really know what's going on in their businesses, their departments, et cetera. And I think people find that inspirational from their leader because they understand the leader's paying attention. And then finally, I think there is something to this vision, as George Bush said. Yeah. I think inspiring leaders work with people every day to help focus together to create something great. 
something better than exists today. And they send the message in lots of ways, some overt, some subtle, that we're all in this together. Yeah. And let's go do this great thing. Yeah. And constantly reminding people about it. I had another guest a while back. He was talking about how a vision statement will only have a limited shelf life. Right. You've got to keep talking about it. You've got to keep reminding people about it. You have to connect the dots. People see how their action actually contribute to that better place. Yes. Yes, it's so easy to get mired in the day-to-day things we have to do. I think part of the leader's job is to help people poke their heads up now and then and think about, what are we really about here? What are we trying to accomplish? Speaking of accomplishing, taking a look at some of the discussion that we've had, I think that Hogan Assessments as an organization provides a great example for us to learn from. I think you guys are doing things well. I think even to small things like letting people work remotely, really working diligently on great communication. I think these are things that we can all learn from. I think your leadership style is one that we can all learn from. And as I said before, I have such a high opinion of Hogan from a product perspective. The assessments that you folks make available to the world are something that are indispensable to my coaching practice. It really does provide a true, comprehensive view or perspective of where somebody not only is at, but how they're developing, what motivates them, what their blind spots are. It's a fantastic tool. And that comes from somebody who's been a pretty fierce critic of the industry. I'm a big fan of what you're doing personally, what your organization is doing, and the products that you're putting out. Thank you so much for being part of our Inspiring Leaders podcast today, Scott. Well, thank you. And thank you for the very kind words. And believe me, it's words like those from people who use our assessments that inspire us. You can quote me on that one, Scott. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much, folks, for tuning in today. And I hope that you've enjoyed listening in on this interview with Scott Gregory, CEO of Hogan. Join us again by subscribing to the tribe. Thanks a lot, everybody. Take care and bye for now. (laughs) 